this is Leah, and welcome to this week's Hashtag for Paris podcast. It's wonderful that you could join us for this week's teaching. I'll explain a little bit more about who we are at the end, but for now, let's jump right in. So let me ask you, are you someone that gets easily frustrated when you have a problem and it's not quickly fixed? You know, you want the quick fix. You have a problem, you want a solution, you want to move on to the next thing. What about when it comes to faith? Have you ever been in a situation where you have prayed, where you have asked God that you're in need of an answer, you're in need of a solution, you're in need of something, and you wait, and you wait, and you wait, and nothing seems to happen? How how do you respond? I mean, have you ever wondered, why doesn't Jesus just act quicker in the midst of life, in the midst of the challenges and the difficulties of the world? Uh, That's where I want to land here today. If this is your very first time jumping on, we're actually in the middle of a series looking at Jesus, um, who he is, what is he all about, and then ultimately, what is our response to him? Uh, For us as a church, this is a a crucial, critical series for us because as a church, our purpose, our hope is to lead people to Jesus. Why? Not just simply to kind of tweak life a little bit, but Jesus is the one who brings about transformation. Jesus is the one who, who promises a life of abundance, a life truly worth living. And so we want to continually point people in his direction. And so this is what this series is all about. So regardless of who you are, regardless of where you are, regardless of even where you are on the spectrum of faith, this is an opportunity for us to consider what is my next step. Last week, we were picking up on this theme, this this invitation that Jesus gives to us that I want to continue with here today because it lands us right in the place of why doesn't Jesus act quicker in the midst of my life? And it's the invitation that Jesus gives, that as soon as people are interested in him, he says two words, simple yet profound, follow me. As I think of those words, I think they are so impactful, so important, because they're actionable. It speaks of not just simply belief, but how does our belief begin to shape our behavior? Notice Jesus doesn't say, you know, go away and and learn all these things about me and go and understand the rules. And no, he says, come and follow me me. Last week, if you were with us, we we looked at how do we follow Jesus in the midst of the storms of life, in the midst of difficulties, in the midst of disappointments, in the midst of whatever life throws at us. How do we continue to follow him in those moments? Today, we're going to kind of continue with that as we look at the place of how do we continue to follow Jesus when there may be moments where it seems as if Jesus is not acting quickly enough. That that we pray, that we go to church, that we read the Bible, that, that, that we continue to remain faithful and, and we ask things of Jesus, yet nothing seems to happen. Today I want to look at why Jesus sometimes allows us to wait, but also what is one of the key characteristics to enable us to wait, to trust, even in the midst of seemingly not much going on. So I want to turn to a passage in the Gospel of Mark. It's where we've been tracking through this whole series. And it's a passage that that comes kind of right after what we just looked at last week, where where Jesus was in a massive storm because they were crossing a lake. They get to the other side. Jesus performs yet another amazing miracle. They get back in the boat. They come back to where they were. And it's here that Jesus encounters two individuals, totally different spectrums of life. But they come with a need. And so they come to Jesus. 
The first individual we meet is, is a guy by the name of Jarius. He's actually one of the synagogue leaders, which means that he is a respected individual within his community. It means that, that he is a part of the religious elite. But he's desperate. You see, his daughter is deathly ill. And he comes to Jesus in his greatest time of need, begging, asking for Jesus to come and to heal his daughter. And so it's here that we're going to jump in. We're going to turn to Mark chapter 5, beginning with verse 24. And this is what we read. It says, So Jesus went with him, and all the people followed, crowding around him. A woman in the crowd had suffered for 12 years with constant bleeding. She had suffered a great deal from many doctors, and over the years she had spent everything she had to pay them, but she'd gotten no better. In fact, she had gotten worse. She'd heard about Jesus, so she came up behind him through the crowd and touched his robe. For she thought to herself, if I can just touch his robe, I will be healed. Immediately the bleeding stopped, and she could feel in her body that she had been healed of her terrible condition. Jesus realized at once that healing power had gone out from him. So he turned around in the crowd and asked, who touched my robe? His disciples said to him, look at this crowd pressing around you. How can you ask who touched me? But he kept on looking around to see who had done it. Then the frightened woman, trembling at the realization of what had happened to her, came and fell to her knees in front of him and told him what she had done. And he said to her, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. While he was still speaking to her, messengers arrived from the home of Jairus, the leader of the synagogue. They told him, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. But Jesus overheard them and said to Jairus, don't be afraid. Just have faith. Then Jesus stopped the crowd and wouldn't let anyone go with him except Peter, James, and John, the brother of James. When they came to the home of the synagogue leader, Jesus saw much commotion, weeping, and wailing. He went inside and asked, Why all this commotion and weeping? The child isn't dead. She's only asleep. The crowd laughed at him, but he made them all leave. And he took the girl's father and mother and his three disciples into the room where the girl was lying. Holding her hand, he said to her, Talitha kum, which means little girl, get up. And the girl who was 12 years old immediately stood up and walked around. They were overwhelmed and totally amazed. Jesus gave them strict orders not to tell anyone what had happened. And then he told them to give her something to eat. I, I get it. That, that was a lot. <laughs> Two incredible encounters but let's, let's talk about it for a little bit because there's, there's something in this passage, in these encounters that Jesus has with these individuals, first Jairus and then, and then this woman who has this terrible medical condition that, that can help teach us something about Jesus, can perhaps even help us understand why Jesus doesn't always give us the immediate quick fix. I'm sure we've all heard the, the saying, hindsight is 2020. We, we understand what that means, that when we look back, things begin to make a little bit more sense because we've already traveled through it. I often wonder if when we read encounters like this in the Bible, we tend to lean too much on hindsight being 2020. I mean, we look at this and we see the big picture of Jesus performed two 
unbelievable miracles. I mean, he brought a little girl back to life. He healed a woman of a major medical condition. Like, like let's be honest, that's not bad for a day's work. And so we can quickly gloss over the details. We can move along and get on to the next thing. But, but what if we paused for a moment and thought, what if we were one of the people in the story? Not knowing exactly how it was going to end, not knowing exactly what Jesus was going to do. It'd be fair to say that Jesus' actions in delaying seemed a bit odd. I mean, especially if you are Jairus, the daughter's dad. You come to Jesus in desperation. You are putting your reputation on the line. Remember, the the religious leaders of that day didn't really get on well with Jesus. And so clearly Jairus was desperate. He had nowhere else to turn. And so he came to Jesus and not just kind of in a subtle way, not just kind of in a dark alley sort of way when no one would notice. There's crowds there and he drops to his knees, a respected man in the entire community, begging, begging with Jesus to come to heal his daughter. And Jesus comes. There there must have been such a glimmer of hope for Jairus that that Jesus was going to come. Jesus was going to come and see his daughter. And I almost picture that that Jairus is kind of out in front, you know, kind of pushing through the crowd and, and Jesus is behind. And then maybe speculation. He looks back and he notices that Jesus has stopped. He's paused. Something's happened, and, and he's asking his disciples, who's, who's touched me? And even his disciples kind of seem it as a bit odd. Like, Jesus, there's, there's people everywhere. Like, who isn't touching you is probably the better reason. But Jesus knows that something has happened. Power has come out of his body, and something has gone on. And so he wants to find this woman. I mean, if you're Jairus, you are probably freaking out right now, thinking, my daughter, my daughter is dying. Jesus, like, can't, can't you come back and deal with this later? Like, like, can't you deal with this in another day? Like, like, why have this conversation? Jesus, I need you now. Why are you delaying? I need the quick fix. And it's in waiting for Jesus that the man's greatest fear is realized. He hears the words he didn't want to hear. Don't bother the teacher anymore. Your daughter is dead. If we pause here for a moment, obviously the situation, the circumstances would be different. But have you ever been in a similar place where you have come to Jesus, where you have prayed, where you have gone to church, where you have been so earnest in your ask of God and in desperation you cry out because you have nowhere else to go and nothing seems to happen. And then actually the thing you dreaded most becomes too much a reality in your life. That's the place that Jarius was. That's a hard place to be. But then Jesus says something. He says, don't be afraid. Just have faith. And so Jesus goes. He sends the crowd away. And he does more than heal this girl. He actually raises her from the dead. 
Now, if we look back on the story with hindsight, we, we see, oh, well, it's not that big of a deal that Jesus delayed. Like, that's actually amazing. Jesus healed a woman on the midst of healing this little girl, of raising her from the dead. All is forgiven. All is forgotten. On to the next story. But if we move on too quickly, we see this interaction of Jesus, the, the subtlety of what he did as becoming significant to point us to a key truth about Jesus, that when it comes to following him, we begin to see what ultimately he desires, what it means to follow him. That, that Jesus wasn't distracted, but rather it's a glimpse into what can ultimately give us hope, even when it seems like the all hope is gone. It comes down to the type of relationship that Jesus wants for for you and for me with him. Now, I get it. I get it. We have, we have lots of different relationships, relationships that can kind of land in different categories. Let me, let me highlight two. There is what I would refer to as the quick fix relationship, and then there are those incredibly personal relationships. Quick fix relationships play it like this. It's an in, it's an out. It's transactional. It's, I need this from you. You do this for me. I will return this for you. Think of a car mechanic. I mean, I'll get personal. I'll tell you about my car mechanic. His name is John, works in Paris. Great mechanic, highly recommend him. But John and I have a quick fix relationship. He's an excellent mechanic. Unfortunately, I actually saw John three times this week, which tells you what kind of a week I had with one of my vehicles. But, but the reality is this, is it's purely transactional. That when I need my vehicle fixed, I go and I see John. And when he fixes my car, I pay him for the work that he's done. Like John and I don't hang out. We don't go grab a meal or a beer together. We often don't really get into much detail about the personal realities of our lives. We don't go on vacation. We, we don't do those things. We don't hang out in each other's backyards. Our relationship is this. When my car needs to be fixed, I go to him. He fixes it and then I move on. And actually, there's times where I go to him, and if he's too busy because he's dealing with other people, I don't become jealous. I don't become annoyed. I don't expect him to bump me to the front of the line, but what do I do? I don't wait around. I go to another mechanic to get my car fixed. And likewise, it's nothing personal. I mean, it's transactional. If he can't do what I need to get done, I move on. But then there's personal relationships. There's this guy, picture of Ryan. That's a couple of years ago. We were actually at a conference together. Ryan is not a quick fix relationship. He's a personal friend. We've lived together, vacationed together, celebrated together, raised families together, laughed together, cried together. It's not a relationship of you do this, I'll do that, we'll go on our ways. He's one of the guys that... I share the, the struggles and the challenges and the rants in life. And if I have something important to tell him and I call him up and he's not able to come, I don't just suddenly say, well, I guess we're done. I'm just going to go down the street and find some other random dude. No, no, no. I wait for him. What's the point? What's the point? Here it is. We all have Johns and Ryans in our life. And that's fine. That's natural. It's healthy. My question is this, 
How would you categorize your relationship with Jesus? Is he a John or a Ryan? Is your relationship with Jesus transactional, looking for the quick fix, or is it more personal? Back to the story. You begin to see what is happening. Both the father and the woman wanted a quick fix. What they wanted was a transaction. And Jesus wanted to give them something more. He wanted to make it personal. He, he wasn't delaying. He wasn't distracting. I mean, think of the woman first. She thought, I'm going to sneak up behind Jesus. I'm going to go unnoticed. And if I just touch his robe, then, then I'll be healed. Did she believe in Jesus? Obviously. But, but she just wanted something. And then she was going to basically go back to regular living. But Jesus wasn't going for that. He stopped. He searched her out and understand not to embarrass her, not to say, hey, give me some credit. Look what I just did, but to make it personal. He spoke these words, daughter, your faith has made you well. Go in peace. Your suffering is over. She wanted a quick fix. She, she, she wanted a transaction. Jesus wanted a relationship. Or the father, he he too just wanted something from Jesus. He, he just wanted Jesus to heal his daughter and then he'd likely go back to regular living. How, how do I know that? What was said to him? When one of the messengers came to him and said, your daughter is dead. There's no use troubling the teacher now. It's too late. Can't be done. But Jesus leans in and you see that Jesus wants to give him something more than just healing his daughter. When he says, don't be afraid, just have faith. It's almost here that you want to begin to lean in. Because Jesus then goes with Jairus to his home. And notice what he does. He, he tells everyone to leave. It's the mother, the father, three disciples. They go into the room. And then Jesus takes her hand. And he says to her, likely whispering in her ear, Little girl, get up. And then he tells the parents, give her something to eat and don't tell anyone what has happened. You see, you see in both instances, Jesus wasn't about looking at, at making a big news for himself. He wanted to make it personal. When Jesus says, follow me, it's an invitation to make it personal with him. To, to not just simply seek him for the quick fix. I, I think a lot of times we may come to Jesus when we need something specific. And listen, listen, listen. There's, there's nothing wrong with making asks of Jesus. He, he actually tells us repeatedly to ask of him, that, that, that he loves to respond to the things that we need. But if that's all we're doing, we're missing out on something far greater this personal relationship with Jesus. I mean, start to read through the Gospel of Mark and you see time and time again the small details that when Jesus meets people, he, he speaks to them, he sits down with them, he touches them, he often calls them by name. Like, like, like why does he do that? Like, like, why does Mark include that? Like, why not just tell us the big picture? Just, he healed this person, move on to the next. He did this, move on to the next, right? It shows something that is valuable and key about Jesus. 
is that he wants our relationship with him to be personal. So, back to the question of why does then Jesus make us wait? Like, is that just being insensitive? Is that just trying to, to test us to see how, how much we trust him? When I, think to, when I think of Jarius as a father having to wait upon Jesus, must have been excruciating. Must have been incredibly frustrating. But Jesus was up to something. If Jesus simply just quick fixed and healed his daughter, Jarius might have missed out on what Jesus was offering this personal relationship. Listen, I can't, I can't tell you why all the reasons Jesus doesn't always move quicker. But I do know this. In my own life, it's often in the waiting for Jesus that he becomes even more personal and real. As I begin to see my utter need and dependence upon him. Back to you. Back to me. What is it that you seek from Jesus? Just the quick fix? The, hey, Jesus, if if you do this, I'll do that, but then I'm really just going to get back to regular life? Or are you looking to truly lean in and follow him? To to make it personal. To, To not just give Jesus a part of your life, but to make him the center of your life. Your decisions. The little things, the the big things the frustrations, what, whatever it may look like, it's not just simply a transaction. Let me suggest a couple of things. For some of you, making it personal with Jesus may be taking that first step of baptism. Baptism is when you come in front of others and say, Jesus, I want you to be a part of my life. Like, this is personal. This is real. I want to follow you in the midst of all things would love to have a conversation with you about that. If, if baptism is something that, that, that you're interested in, whether you live in the Paris area or not, we can sort out the details. To make it personal and to follow Jesus means to include him in all of life, not just simply in the things that you need. To, to not treat Jesus like you would a mechanic or a repair shop. To just show up when you have a need and then go on your merry way. But is that friend, that, that critical friend that you want to spend life together with? And then finally, one of the key realities of if we're willing to make it personal with Jesus is in our willingness to wait. You know, patience, it's, it's never an easy thing, but it's so key because I believe that it's in the waiting for Jesus that our relationship with him deepens and becomes even more real. This week, this week, will you take a step, continue to follow him in the midst of wherever this week may take you. Let me just pray as we wrap up. So gracious God, we are grateful for this day. We're grateful for encounters like with Jarius and this woman to help again remind us that you want something more more than just the the quick fix of whatever our need may be that day, but that you want to make it personal. You want to make it lasting. And it's in this taking a step with you that life truly becomes worth living. And so I pray for those that are watching, 
I pray for those that maybe are considering baptism, that, that they would have the courage to step out, to trust in you and to, to say, yes, Jesus, I, I want you to be a part of my life. I pray, Lord God, wherever our week takes us, that we do so being mindful of you. For we ask this in the name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. And so now may the Lord bless you and keep you. Now may the Lord make his face to shine upon you, be gracious towards you. Now may the Lord look to you always, always, and grant you his peace. For he asks this name of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. Amen. today. We hope that you were encouraged by what you just heard. Just so you know a little bit more about who we are, hashtag for Paris, our church is about creating a culture that shows people that we are for them and for our local community. Jesus invites us to experience a meaningful life with him and others. So we meet every Sunday morning in person at the Paris Presbyterian Church at 1030 a.m. and throughout the week in various home groups and pubs here in Paris. It is here that we experience authentic relationships and we grow deep in our faith journeys together. If you would like to connect with us further, you can find us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. And it is here that you can find links to any of our other audio and video podcasts, sermons, and you can track with what's happening with us each month. Please go straight to our website for more information now about our home groups and how you can get involved. Our website is parispresb.ca. Yes, that's right, parispresb, P-R-E-S-B.ca. And it's there that you can share our links with your friends, family, and neighbors. Uh, we have friends from around the world who connect in with us online on a regular basis. And so lastly, please feel free to email me and get connected directly. I would love to chat with you. My email is leah at parispres.ca, and I'll get back, right back to you. So that's all we have for now. Thanks again for joining, and we'll see you again next week. Bye for now, everyone.